I want that appreciation. I want people to understand that they can literally leave the company and do great things alone. They don't need to be with me. That is what I look for a success in my life, to have people that transcend my company, go to do even greater and bigger things, and that they don't look back and feel like we did them wrong in any way. I would be proud of that. Hello, and welcome to episode 16 of Webflow, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the greatest failures behind the greatest Webflowers, because success often comes after learning from many failures. I'm your host, Jack Redley, a failure connoisseur, and today my guest is Marcelo Russo. Marcelo is the CEO and creative technologist of Friends Agency. The three failures Marcelo talks about in this episode are failing to create a unique company, failing to trust his gut with clients and hires, and failing to prevent his past from defining his present worth. So, embrace and learn from failure in episode 16 of Webflow with Marcelo Russo. It's an honor to have you here, Marcelo. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. So before we get into the failures, what I want to do is to ask you what creative technologist of Friends Agency means and what that looks like day to day. It's really interesting. It's one of those um, particular titles that I'd seen uh, in companies that I admire. A friend of mine actually helped me coin it because it marries creative problem solving with having some acceptable level of design skill set while being very good at technology. You said before, right, my background is a CS grad. When I started everything, I had no idea. I couldn't draw, you know, the little stick man to save my life. So uh, I had to kind of like grab all the design chops along the way. I'm more of an executive in the side of design, able to, you know, help my creative team get the results that our clients want. So that's where creative technologies come into Mary in a beautiful, perfect ball of a human, in my case, that helps companies when they come and say, I want a website that looks good, that performs good, that it has a complex infrastructure. I'm the guy that they can talk to and make sure that everything will fall into pieces, uh, all the dominoes will fall in place, all the puzzle pieces will connect. Yeah, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. And I've heard you say on a previous interview with Josh Lowe from Raylium Agency, shout out Josh, that you might not always make the best design decisions, but you have a very good grasp of the fundamentals of how a project overall should go. And you're also really good at trusting your team to do their job. Because I think that's one trick with agency owners that's quite hard to kind of give over creative control sometimes. Would you agree with that? I would say absolutely, because that's been sometimes really hard for me to accept the fact that I'm not going to be the best. But on the other hand, it's really easy for me to accept that I'm not going to be the best. You know, there's the joke when you don't know what how to do something, you teach it, right? So in my case, I had a very similar experience with managing a team. I'm not the best engineer in town. I'm not going to be the best DevOps or coder or designer or sketcher or whatever we want to call it. But I am really good at making sure that everybody has the information that they need in a way that they need it. And I know just how to speak those two different languages. So definitely I have no ego with what I do. (laughs) You're better than me. For sure you're better than me. Go right ahead and do your thing. This is the chillaxed overachiever mindset, really. (laughs) So you've got Q Room, and that is 
the kind of overarching agency and then friends agency is like the spin-off agency that came about a couple of years ago am i right thousand percent right and can you tell us a little bit about how that came about yeah kiro actually started about 11 years ago my co-founder of that company alejandro i think it's, he has like 20 years more than me so he's an experienced entrepreneur he has built companies in the past and he was always pestering me he's like hey we got to do something together so literally always said no 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 and one day he just decided to up and go and do it, even when I said no. And he listed me as a general manager. So when we came about and I came to the U.S. and I wanted to start a side gig, um, I started talking to people that I trust. And of course, that was Ali. He said, it's like, oh, but you already have a company. You've been doing some work for it. Like those paychecks that I sent you, they were not, uh, I love you paychecks is you work for it paycheck. So at that time I said, sure, let's keep on building Q room. But Ali's objective is always to create more companies, to have more ventures and all live under Q room. As Q room in itself and our Webflow services began to take more notice in the space, we began to have a disconnect between what we do and what the company does and what the company says and the identity. And that's where I decided to rebrand. It was the only logical movement there. So we took that step. And I think it was in June that we made it official. And basically everybody that has been working with me and in Q room for the past three years moved into the separate venture while I keep also running Q room on the other ventures. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. you also do uh, Flutter dev work as well as Webflow. Yeah. So do you find that it's kind of hard to manage expectations of what you are and how that brings business into the agency? A thousand percent. I don't really find it hard. I'm clearly very bad at it. I, I, I don't know if I want to be recognized as the guy of something other than just a friendly dude in the, in the internet. Everybody that comes looking for Flutter, it's probably someone that already worked with Qroom or knows Qroom because we, we specialized in, in building de and developing applications while every major effort is being put towards bringing Webflow clients and growing uh, the workflow practice that we have. I'm barely beginning to get a grasp on how to do social media. One of the reasons I I always was COO or had operation type of titles was because I don't necessarily like being in the spotlight. I'm more of the guy that comes very quietly to save the day and that's it. When, when I started becoming and saying, okay, I'm going to accept the role that I am a CEO of a company, I thought, okay, sure. I think I, I'll need to at least give it, a, give it an honest try to become this person that is a little bit more public, that talks to everybody and, and tries to engage with the community. And honestly, this community is by far the best thing that has happened to me in two years. Definitely meeting everyone and hearing the warmth and the encouragement and how everybody works together. It's breaking a lot of preconceived notions in me and allowing me to help everybody as much as I can. Yeah, I, I've heard you talk about the importance of community in regards to the future as well, where mm -hmm. it sounds like that was amazing community for you to meet so many interesting people, friends, clients. Um, do you think that that's something that people don't necessarily do enough when they're doing Webflow? Like, I think there's a kind of fear of uh, being accepted into a community on the internet, but I think Webflow seems to do a really good job of encouraging community. Do you agree with that? A thousand percent. I mean, Webflow community is extremely welcoming. It has been from day one. I was exploring the idea the other day with, with Emily about what makes Webflow so awesome. And is that I think that is 
a lot of these companies that we've seen from Edgar Allen to FinSuite to Friends and to the smaller agencies that are coming up, we are all kind of like in the same path at the same time. It's mm. like none of these companies has 20 years or 10 years doing Webflow. Sometimes maybe, but it's like the majority of the companies that are currently well-known in the space have been recent companies mm. that have grown their teams and they're taking advantage of all of us working together. And it shows that Webflow continues to conquer the market, that the pie is only getting bigger. So it's not that, oh my gosh, now that this other company got Hewlett Packard, now I'm never going to get anything. It's like, nope, tomorrow there's going to be another big company, another big name that is going to come into the space. And if Mm -hmm. you're ready and take the opportunity, you're probably going to get it. See, that's something interesting that I've heard you say before that, you know, in terms of getting these kind of big fish clients, as it were, they'll come to you when you're good enough and you have honed your skill set. Do you think that there's this kind of, fetishization of getting like 10k clients straight out the bat with people that are getting into the webflow space do you think that they should just be learning the fundamentals of html css and javascript before before getting in or what advice would you give to someone who's like i really want to get hewlett packard but actually you're like whoa 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 do you know any code type thing yeah definitely you gotta measure yourself against the opportunity the famous don't buy more than you can chew is really important But at the same time, you will be able to eat more than you think. I don't know. And I have a very, very interesting example. When I started the agency and and I decided I was going to go head on in Webflow, of course, I needed a portfolio. So there I was like working a million hours a day learning Webflow. I already knew HTML. So I've come from a development background. So that was easy for me. But I had to learn the tool. I had zero design skill set. So I was learning design along the way. And then... My first few clients, of course, were the typical, uh, I can build your website for 50 bucks or 100 bucks or like 200 bucks. And one day, one friend of mine came to me with an opportunity. And the opportunity was to build a $18,000 website. And I was like, sure, I can do that. I went to the pitch and I pitched and I win a $18,000 website when I was selling it for 100. So there is always the buy more than you can chew and the number, but the number is not, it's not the problem. The client is not the problem. It's always being introspective with yourself. I, I knew that I had the network that if they asked me something crazy, I could pick up the phone and like, Hey, I have the money. Uh, I just need you to come and help me. And that's it. From there on, almost I can tackle almost any project. And, and that's true as it was three years ago. It's true right now. Let's get into the failures. We haven't had any of them yet on the show so far, so I'm very intrigued to get into them. Tell me about failure number one, failing to be a unique company by trying to mimic another company. That's an interesting one um, to analyze because when Curum started, as I said, 11 years ago, and we've been basically doing product development in whichever language, whichever technology, whichever way the client wanted. It's like, hey, you have an idea, come to me, we'll do it. That's it. So when I came to the US and I started to thinking about specializing and and working in different ways, I realized that that was a very hard sell. Like every time it it seemed like no matter in in a call with a client, no matter what they said, it's like, we're going to make it work. We're going to make it happen. And it's like, it began began to sound desperate in, in my own calls. Like and, and I was not desperate, but it was weird when the client says, I want to do this in Drupal. 
uh, hosting it in my own house and all custom code. It's like, yeah, sure, I can do all of that. And, and then it's like, wait a minute, you can do all of that and deploy some ways or make it complex. It, it began to have that that kind of like impact on my on myself. And that's where Weblo came into my life. I discovered it. I loved it. I rolled and decided to to say, I'm going to basically stop doing what we're doing up to this point. So cut off all the clients, cut off all my team that I had at that moment. And the people that stayed are, were the ones that really wanted to continue this down this path and started on Webflow. So I didn't want to do what I was doing before, like structure the company that way. So I started out looking into different inspirations, like company structures, company methods, um, ways of handling teams and contracts and pricing. Uh, at that time, I still haven't onboarded my current co-founder for friends, which is my best friend from childhood. So I started think, looking at a company. I looked at Sappos. I loved Sappos. I loved the decentralized concept that they had. So for a few months, I tried to run the company as Sappos. So I looked at that. I studied that. I talked to a lot of people. And it was grinding teeth all the time. It's like always complicated. Nothing matching exactly what I wanted to, to it to be. People were struggling to accept the process that Sapos had and that I was trying to implement. So I had to kind of like come to the realization that I couldn't imitate that structure. That structure was the result of years of polishing what they were doing and selecting the employees specifically for that. So then I, I made the mistake again. <laughs> so I looked into another company and that's around the time that I met Chris Doe and I met The Future and... I looked at blind and it's like, oh my God, this guy talks exactly like I talk, thinks very similar like I do, has a company that does amazing projects like the ones that I want to make. Let's try to go there. And again, it was a failure because Chris Doe had way many more years of experience than I did as being a CEO of that company. And I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. So I had to kind of like find a way to marry again that idea and that was difficult and the realization of how i should solve that problem came when i was recently implementing clickup I, I i said it i think yesterday when i was talking to emily i love the way um 8020 is implementing clickup and how they they do it but they have a bigger company than i did so i what i have to do is like shrink what they're doing and what i like into something that works for me there isn't a, sure I want to go into something as complex as what they have, but that's going to take time and that's okay. It's not going to be right now. It's not going to be this year. I don't even know if it's going to be next year, but everything is okay. I'm just going to do something that gives me a stepping stone in the right direction. And that's it. It sounds like you tried to look at who you admired and thought, well, if it's working for them and I want to be like them, I'm just going to implement that for me. But it's been a kind of journey of self-discovery to understand that you as a founder are not the same founders of either of these two companies, Zappos and Blind. And as a result, those same structures don't work. Have I understood that correctly? It, it, it's not that they don't work, probably, because, of course, they do it work for them. And I know that down the line, they're going to work for me, too, mm. because it's it has to do with the people and it has to do with the experience. Uh, in my case, I come from uh, as, as a manager, as an engineer, obsessed with process and outcomes and like, you know, input, black box, output, those kind of things. So when it comes to to thinking about my companies, like I, I kept on seeing all of that and stressing out. 
and I had to grow as a business owner, as a CEO to understand that my team will know better that my team knows and be better at giving them direction and giving them instructions, knowing when to lead, when to coach, when to step back, when to change my role from being a CEO to an executive, to a creative, to a, a developer, finding that right balance is taking time and it's going to keep on taking time. And it sounds like understanding that you need to wear those different hats and what those even hats are meant to be is the key to working out what the structure is rather than I'm going to implement the structure first and then work out what hats I'm going to wear. It sounds like you've come to the realization that you need to understand how you can best support different people in different scenarios and that is going to dictate the structure. Yeah, yeah 100%. I mean, the, the scenarios will work but it's kind of like trying to tell you how to create a company from scratch. Like mm. I, there, there are so many infinite variables in my opinion that sure there can be steps, but it needs to be you. The company needs to feel like you reflect like you work like you. And the whole point of hiring people that are better than you is because you had enough introspection to know what are your shortcomings and how someone else is going to be happy filling that role of your shortcoming. And do you feel like Friends Agency is now as much Marseille as it can possibly be? Or um, do you feel like there's still a little bit of ironing out and working out to do? Well, it, it's as much Marseille as it is my, my co-founder, Esteban. Um, mm. But at the same time, we are both constantly changing who we are and we are not ever stationary. In the yeah. This is our personality and this is how the company is going to be. We literally, uh, I at least on myself, I... I try to be a completely different human every month as much as I can. It's like wow. there's always something to improve. There's something, mm -hmm. something to learn. There's always something to try. Um, so whether it is a new way of managing my accounts or a new way of managing my PMs or a new way of helping my lead be a better lead or taking the step, taking the pedal of the metal and saying, allowing the company to go slower or sometimes it's let's go faster and, and find what's going to happen. Um, right now, the, the best thing I can keep on doing is making sure that while I discover all of this, everybody else is happy. So say hypothetically there's someone watching who's running an agency or wants to start an agency. Do you have any kind of consolidating advice for them in regards to the journey that they're about to go on or how they can make the journey slightly less difficult. <laughs> well, I think that your, that your hand motion gave me the idea of what I'm going to say. Having a company, it's fluid. There is no blueprint. There's nobody that knows better than you. We just have more years of experience. Hence, we've seen more, but our experiences may not be the right for you. So just make sure that you're comfortable waking up every day and bringing your full self to the company. Because the moment that you need to bring some some different self of you, some different version, that's going to take energy. And running a company needs all your energy. Tell me about failure number two, failing to trust your gut with <laughs> clients and hires. Well, that's that's actually the easiest one of them all because one of the things that we always got trained from and other people, other, other people that we hear listen is like, you know, focus on your business. It's like your business is an entity separate from you and so on. And and with 
sometimes the need of bringing the money into your company and, and hitting a milestone or, or any of those things, you stop hearing yourself. I know that we all always talk about the red flags and so on, but this is not even up to that point. There's, in my opinion, there's a, there's a more primal level of the red flags. I'm going to talk about the failures in itself. Last year, we were working with a, we were trying to get a client that it was in the space, in a space that I really, really liked. And it's like, oh my God, I want to have this project. So my business brain is like, okay, this is an interesting project in a space that I want to go in. And I talked to these people and they were like, yeah, we're going to have, give you creative freedom, like do this. The budget was right for what they wanted to do for I wanted to do. So everything was kind of like falling into pieces. But every time I went into the meeting, I came out with a weird feeling. Not good, not bad, pure weird, just that. But I kept thinking, it's like, yeah, that's it's just me. I'm being, you know, extremely picky or I was having a bad day or I don't know, many excuses. And come start the project. We're doing the design. We have a beautiful, uh, like, audacious design, kind of like what they wanted for us to do. And they begin to tear it down and not necessarily in a constructive way. They started just like, I don't like this. They don't want this. I never told you this. I never told you that. It became a huge conversation of you said, she said, even against our creative brief that we try to put it always there to avoid this kind of like you said, he, she said. So when that came to pass, I began to realize that that was our hard feeling. That was the weirdness. I was feeling that this yes, yes, yes situation that we were having during the sales process was about they liked us, but they needed hands, proficient hands, but they were not really the ideal client that we wanted to work on. And I had to do the hard thing of firing the client. We were almost at the end of the project. This client had three change requests logged with us. So that was going to triple the price of the project. And we decided to not do it. We decided to cancel everything and say, we're not going to continue working with you. Here are a couple other agencies and that's it. Off you go. So definitely that's a moment where I was like, I should have trusted my God. Uh, I would have saved stress for my team, stress for myself, stress for my designers. Everything would have been significantly better if I wouldn't have said yes at that beginning. So this primal feeling that you're talking about like for anyone that's just getting into client work that's watching or listening, what does that feel? What Just talk us through, is it in the throat? Is it in the stomach? Are you just like, no? Like you, you everything that they're saying, you're like, something's weird here. Like talk, what, what does that actually feel like? I, I distill it into something that I'm using right now, but the feeling is kind of like in the back of my head, kind of like a little dude jumping jumping up and down and saying like pay attention to me pay attention to me no no and i realized that it it ends up becoming the reason why my company is called friends like i didn't want to have a beer with this guy Mm. i I wanted to have a business relationship i wanted to give it the money i'll execute the project around the parameters i like and then we shake hands and we move on and i realized that that's not what i want i want to make friends I want to meet people that I enjoy picking up a call at eight in the morning or at eight at night and help them out. Even if I need to talk to them about something completely non-related to projects, I want to have that feeling because that's also what I want in my team. I want mm-hmm. them to understand that they can do whatever they want during the day. We have objectives um, and that's it. That's as far as we go. Like if you, if you need to go take your dog, have a longer walk, you're having a bad day and you're not concentrated, just tell me, hey, Marcelo, today's a little shitty day. Instead of doing what I was supposed to do today, I'm going to take this one task and then take the day to brainstorm and think about other things or relax. I'll come back and do more and I'll adjust the deadlines and 
have that type of caring for everybody else around you. And this client didn't care about us, didn't care about my team, didn't care about the work. And I should have listened to the guy jumping here. So it sounds like implementing some kind of beer, beer test. Like, yes. would I want to have a beer with this client is something that can be, sounds kind of juvenile to be like, <laughs> would I have a beer with this person? Like, but actually it is quite a good kind of monitor as to whether this project is going to be enjoyable or not. I found as well. I'm not a big drinker, but I'd still... Yeah, we can, we can easily replace beer with a good lasagna. Yeah, I love lasagna. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, would you have a lasagna with this? I mean, that sounds even weirder than beer, but either way, <laughs> I mean, basically judging how the client is going to treat you and your team on a project is a far, far better metric to judge whether to take the project or not than the budget or something like that, which probably, um, you know, most people would be like, hey, if they offer me a million pounds and treat me like shit, I'm going to take the job. But actually, I mean, I don't know what shit tastes like, but I probably wouldn't eat it for a million quid. Yeah. But well, maybe for two, and I would just like put it into like a completely separate team that knows that they're going to be eating shit. I don't know. Okay. No, probably I wouldn't either. But no, I'm glad that, um, you know, you've worked this out because I feel like, you know, for a freelancer that's starting out, you know, it's important to to realize, you know, what projects you want to take and what projects you don't. But it's probably even more important for an agency owner because, you know, you're accepting projects not only on behalf of, of you, but, you know, your agency, your whole team will be working with this client. So it sounds like a really, really important thing to have worked out. Yeah. And, and it applies the same way to a team member. I mean, we had an unfortunate situation with another team member. Um, with a, in a project and, you know, when the chips were down and we needed the, that person to come through, um, we were met with excuses and we left, like, they literally left the project, stopped answering texts, emails, messages or anything. And the project was not done. I'd been having, I, I had the same gut feeling. It's like, something is not right. Something is not right. Talk to this guy. Something is not right. But he kept not answering properly, not communicating internally properly, but hitting the milestones, I would say up to a good 80% or 85%. Um, so I kept telling myself, it's like, well, I can, I can solve, we can solve this on QA. We can solve this in QA. We can solve this in QA. Uh, and then when the chips were down and we went into QA, he disappeared. Nothing got done. And it took us months actually to get in contact with him by that time, we already onboarded a new developer that made the project become non-profitable for us and a new guy that had to basically walk into a fiery hell because the client was pissed. We were exhausted. He had to learn the code that someone else wrote from scratch. So the, this sword cuts both ways. It's like it's for clients and people. Your employees, your, your team members are going to be with you 12 hours a day at least for me, because I'm in multiple time zones. So I will be seeing them all all my day. And if there's not that level of comfort of talking and arguing and finding solutions and disagreeing on solutions, and admitting someone is wrong, admitting someone is right, all of those things, they need to happen. Do you think that like people don't really talk about the soft skills as much as the hard skills in the Webflow community? Replying punctually, turning up to meetings, like things like that, do you feel that, you know, these soft skills need to have a bigger weight in terms of firing people? 
at least definitely for us it's it's paramount that that's not not even that that's the question that we are first asked and i literally had caught call interviews short as like sorry dude i don't think we're a fit um when some part of those first few checks don't measure up and by the way for everybody listening please if you're doing an interview show up on time show up like five minutes before because that that was already i've, I've interviewed hundreds of people through my career and definitely someone that doesn't show on time or at least text me hey dude i'm running a few minutes late um do you mind waiting or should we reschedule that's already a no in my like thank you very much you need to be accountable that there's another person but it, Talking about the soft skills, they're hard to quantify or they're hard to gauge. So that's, I think, is one of the reasons why we put them in the back burner. Mm. Um, how do you know that someone is a good communicator without them working with you? How do you know that someone will respect the deadline um, without giving them a deadline? So part of our process has a little bit of that, but it's still the first one is the beer test. Like mm. There are certain elements of this conversation that I always have myself with my business partner, with our lead engineer, and each one of us look for different things. Like I look for the beer test. I know my, my business partner, Esteban, looks for the ability to communicate and articulate complex ideas properly. He's more of a, the account manager. While I really appreciate our lead engineer, Richard, he has a particular set of questions where he actually looks for knowing where, where are they in their lives. Are you living with your parents? Are you trying to live alone? Have you uh, gone to college? Not about the degree. It's about the experience that they had. And sometimes is, have you had hardships in your life? Because that's, that's what's going to give you some very good telltales about, is this person aware that they are going to take a project that may be tied to their income? And what happens if they don't complete the project? What happens in your university if you don't, submit the paper and you lose your scholarship. Those kind of elements are things that I know Richard looks for and they're amazing. And I, I, I wouldn't know how to do it properly. That's why I trust him. For soft skills, I always try to trust someone else. Tell me about failure number three then. Failing to prevent your past from defining your present worth. That was very interesting. I mean, and it was one that I was trying to think about uh, over these last few days, because as I said before, I didn't want to be CEO. Uh, I wanted to be the guy behind the scenes and doing the magic to make things happen. But I grew up from not knowing anything at all. I was a trainee for an international company where I learned the very basics of programming. And then I grew up to go to team lead, to a software architect, to project manager, to product manager, and so on and so forth until I got me here. Or, well, basically the position I held before here. And as director of operations, that was uh, my role, the guy that I worked for had a very particular style of, of leading that I, I resonated with. I really liked that style. But at the same time, it became apparent that there, once I left him and, and I started to look into, into doing Webflow full-time and all of that, I was still marked by all of these failure moments that I had in my past with him and how critical he made them seem because I understand his side as CEO, but they were not as terrible. They were just things that as a CEO, you wouldn't expect from your 
director of operations. So all of those marks were like, I'm not as good as I need to be. I'm not as good as a COO. I won't be good as CEO. Mm. And, and that was really hurting me because I, I still admire a lot of the things that this other person was able to do and accomplish. Um, and that, and I, I'm extremely proud of the things that we, we accomplished together when our relationship was at, at its peak. But now looking, looking out, there are a lot of things that I'm a thousand percent sure that I don't want in my company, no matter what. Mm. Like I want that appreciation. I want people to understand that they can literally leave the company and do great things alone. They don't need to be with me. And if tomorrow anyone in my company says, I'm going to go do on my, on my own, kudos. Perfect. I'm glad that you're ready. Like, let me give you some tips on how to start. I don't mind. I would be proud of that. And recently I had the, upper, the, the luck that an employee that is no longer with us that I had to actually terminate came back and brought us a deal and a big one. And that speaks a lot to me about, in my case, and this makes me proud of the, how I could create a culture where what we do together with my team goes beyond just work. Like we may not be working together. It was not the right time for you to be in my company. I may have failed as leader to him to get the best out of him. And I know right now where he is, is super successful. So I want to, it was just, we were not able to work together for whatever reason, but that doesn't mean that we didn't establish a good relationship that I am happy with that he is where he is right now and that he was happy with the time that he spent with us enough to bring us a deal. And that is what I look for a success in my life to have people that transcend my company, go to do even greater and bigger things and that they don't look back and feel like we did them wrong in any way. We, we tried to do what's best for everybody. And even if it was not the best for him in that precise moment, I'm pretty sure when we were having that conversation, he was not going to give me a hug. But I hope that when I see him again, that's going to be different. Wow. So your metric for success is encouraging, teaching, developing people to hopefully down the line become confident and skilled enough to transcend your own company. And the fact that he came back with a job after what sounds like a really difficult conversation is, yeah, is testament to the the strong culture that you've developed at a friend's agency. What do you think the kind of crux of developing that culture has been? Well, I mean, the things that I hope were the markers. First, I tried to treat everyone as a human, right? They're not resources. No matter that I have to put that in my resource sheet, <laughs> they're still people with lives, with problems, with situations, and trying to be understanding of their whole being and moment in life. I think it's something that between myself, Richard, Esteban, and our PMs, we try to take good care of that. Sometimes people are underperforming because they're struggling in their personal life. And sure, everybody says, leave your personal life outside of the job. But we know that's a lie. You fought with your girlfriend. You had a shitty night. You are, your stomach's upset. It doesn't matter about the taking a sick day. It's just being comprehensive of that person. Maybe they had a bad day and they want to be at work so they can disconnect. Or maybe they had a bad day and they want to go to the park. Just go and do whatever is best for you. And 
Second of all, I have a very particular style of coaching and teaching where I, I try to understand what's their each, each and everyone's capabilities and then push them to the limit. I, I give them the framework to fail and I want them to reach certain failure points in certain times and then like make sure that like, you see, there's no problem. You fail. That's good. You're pushing think, that comfort zone. Yeah. Definitely the main thing that I look for is growth, not passing marks or being speedy at building websites. What I'm looking for is like the same thing that I do for me, like trying to be very different from the month before. Last month, I was not good at analyzing a scope. Well, this month, I'm going to try to be good at it. Last mm -hmm. month, I, I failed at finding, I don't know, testing use cases. Um, well, I'm going to try to be more structured and find those use cases in this new project. Last month, I didn't send enough leads, emails to get calls. Well, this month, I'm going to try to send triple that. I don't know. And I, I want to see that pushing the boundaries um, because that's how we all grow. Okay, let's get into the quickfire community questions. I've been sent a couple of questions from people and yeah, I'm intrigued to get into these. So um, one question from Ben Selinski is, what is the most underrated Webflow skill that you look for when hiring? Oh, I definitely have an answer for that. Architecture of CMSs. That makes or breaks the entire website project. It's like if you you can do a very basic CMS and fulfill the need um, and limit your client at the same time. So a good CMS architecture sometimes is more complex, but simple in the long run, more flexible in the long run. It's one of those key elements that we actually always are growing and finding new ways to leverage Webflow CMS. And now thanks to that new lifted limit of 10,000 for, uh, for the normal accounts and the normal project, I think that we're going to keep on finding things that make the CMS more powerful beyond just being a CMS. Interesting. And what is the one piece of advice would you give to a Webflow freelancer who's just starting out? Definitely study the fundamentals. We, we put everybody that jumps in our company through a little process of, hey, look at the videos of, of Webflow University, and we have a little list. Um, then we have the Rand Seagulls course. Take the Rand Seagulls course, uh, follow it to the T. Um, that's going to give you some good dexterity with Webflow as a tool. Uh, and then depending on where their initial assessment of ability comes from, and like then if you're very good with animations, polishing them, be specialized and polish them using uh, Joseph Barry's course in awards. Or if you're very good in code and custom code, then probably your best route is to go with Wizardries with Timmy, with Timothy Ricks. So go to that one. And maybe you are uh, more of an all-around player, more focused on design. Uh, Joe Moore's you know, awards course is really good too. Great advice there. So first of all, study the fundamentals, then specialize once you have a more of a direction about kind of what you want to focus on so for animation joseph berry's course on awards it's sick go do it anybody that's interested in animation and then design you talked about joe moore and then if you want to do more custom code stuff timothy ricks he has 
Patreon, which is insane as well. So shout out to those three. Next question. How did you land your first gigs? Well, this comes also from a recommendation from Chris Doe and the pro group. The first gigs normally are within arm's reach. Like reach out to your family, to your friends, to your college contacts, people that know you personally for many years and tell them just that, hey guys, I'm doing this. Uh, Do you happen to need one of this? And you don't need to actually do a lot of work or legwork on that because they know you. Like people, hey, do you want a personal website? Do you have a company website that you want to revamp? And yes, at the very beginning, sometimes you'll need to bite the bullet and do it for the price of a couple of pizzas. But what you need is your portfolio. What you need is to learn how to go above and beyond from what a customer wants. Sure, they land the, they want a landing page, but if you give them something that they could do themselves, they're not going to recommend you again. But if you go a little bit above and beyond, as you follow the fundamentals and you know to put some nice animations or to use a beautiful responsive with wizardry, they're going to have something that says, oh, wow, this is really nice. And that's going to be the first part of your word of mouth. What or who is your ideal client and who is your who is the client that you would avoid like the plague? <laughs> Oof. Um this is this goes against everything that everybody has told you and everyone in the past. We don't have a niche. So right now my ideal client is whichever one has the money to pay for us. Um but then as we said, that that needs to cross a couple like non-niche thresholds right it's like you need to be a good guy you need to be a good person that we enjoy working and talking to mm. um but then as as you continue passing these little barriers um it has to be someone that gives us creative freedom although that needs to be part of our positioning we always look for someone that evaluates us as experts mm. right and the type of conversation that we never enjoy is to having is like hey can you make the logo bigger kind of thing it's like are you the logo expert? You literally yeah. hired me because I'm good at logos. I need to tell you as an expert, the logo size is perfect. You're my client. So if you force my hand, I will totally make it bigger. But it's like, I want to make sure that I this logo, this size is what I believe is going to take you to where you want to be. Mm-hmm. So we have gone through the three failures We have done some community questions. I've got a harder question for you now to finish on. Are you ready? Absolutely. Marcelo, what is your next failure going to be? So I have a real one and an ideal one (laughs) because this gets real really fast. It's like our next (laughs) failure, hopefully, is not in any learning related to having the core portion of my company going dark for two weeks for the Webflow conference. Hopefully I don't have anything to learn from that. Now, it's possible. It's very possible. Now, our next failure, what we're looking for forward next year is to discover how we give back more of the company to our team. Uh, so it's going to be more focused on human resources and benefits. The best example is right now we have an unlimited vacation policy that in my opinion, my team is not using it as much as I want to. I don't like that. Something is off. So when I'm going to change, and they already know this, so this is not the news for anybody, is like we're going to be doing away 
with the unlimited vacation, and we're just going to begin to add vacation weeks through the year. It's like, you got to be off this week. Like, no, but it's like, nope, just go away. I'm going to remove you from Slack if I need to. Just go do whatever you want for five days. So we're going to change that and see what happens. Thanks for listening to episode 16 of Webflow with Marcelo Russo. My favorite part of this episode was when Marcelo talked about how he managed to create an agency culture at Friends Agency. One of Marcelo's success metrics is how many of his employees transcend the company and go on to take on bigger and greater projects, even when employee relationships might be difficult when they're at the agency. This is exemplified by a past employee that Marcelo had to let go of that years later brought Friends Agency a substantial client. To build that kind of trust takes a lot of managerial attention and diligence. He says the secret source to creating this agency culture is treating every employee as a person, not a resource to be used. An interesting question, whether you are growing an agency or not, is how do you want to be remembered? If you were going to grow an agency, how would you want people to treat you even when they've left the company? If you want inspiration, business advice, and weekly jobs, direct your inbox. Sign up for the Webflow Roundup at webflow.com. This is a weekly newsletter designed for you to take your Webflow freelancing to the next level. I hope it helps. This coming week, I'll be interviewing Jamie Windle, CEO of Cooler Design Studio. Join us at 4pm BST on YouTube this coming Thursday to talk about some epic failures from Jamie's career. Until next week, web flailers, 